Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. It is brought to you this time by Squarespace. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hello, Jason. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's a new year. We were we were gone. We skipped a fortnight, as is our uh, our tradition almost at this point. Little little end of the year break. Yeah, we ended the year of commercial crew. What will this year bring? Hey, maybe that should be what this episode is about. Ooh, yeah. So yeah. we thought we could spend an hour catching up on a month's worth of news, or, or we could talk about some of the big stories we're looking forward to in twenty twenty one. And there's a lot of stuff. And Jason, you came up with this completely novel way of maybe going through this. I thought perhaps we could take turns choosing items that we're looking forward to this year mm. in a series of rounds. If there was a catchy name for that. Well, there isn't. So we'll just call it the 2021 Looking Forward to Liftoff Draft. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna make some some picks. We have a long list of things that uh, we're looking forward to in 2021, and I thought maybe you could uh, start us off. Yeah, this is a this is a big one. Um, what am I looking forward to most this year? I I'm gonna say I'm looking forward to the James Webb Space Telescope. Ooh, actually launching yeah i am i hope it happens it's been so long (laughs) yeah but it is scheduled so it's scheduled for october 31st a halloween launch on the esa's uh isa arian 5 rocket okay i i feel like there's a liftoff rule that if you're in the last quarter of the year which this is this is almost like it's essentially two months before the end of the year Mm mm-hmm if you're a space person and you're like, it'll be late in the year, we'll get to some of these later, I'm sure. I've learned that later this year means next year. Yeah. That's just later this year means it's next year. Shorthand for check again in 12 months. However, James Webb Space Telescope, which is super important, it's going to it's gonna um, teach us a lot about the universe. It's cost a lot of money. It's been in, in process for a very long time. It's been delayed a lot by a lot of different things. But this date, October 31st, what encourages me about it is that all the other dates for the James Webb Telescope have been reported with a sort of, yeah, they say, but kind of approach. And all the reports I've read about this date is that everybody thinks it's going to happen. So barring a, uh, a very bad, unexpected thing, we seem to have gotten to the end of the story of the James Webb Space Telescope on earth and that we're we're at the point now where it will uh it will finally get out there and start doing its job it's a good first pick it it really is and i'm very excited to see this because it really is going to let us peer further out into the universe and further back in time because those two things are kind of the same thing when you're talking at a big scale exactly Exactly. And and throughout 2020, despite the f- pandemic, various systems were, were of the James Webb were undergoing testing procedures. They did the acoustic and shakedown testing so that they could see if will it break when we launch it. Yeah. We don't want that. They deployed the the whole like tower that supports the weight of the telescope. They unfolded the solar shield. They did a systems check of all the software. Like It seems like they're ready to go. So I 
Um, I'm really looking forward to 2021 being the year that the James Webb Space Telescope finally takes wing. There's no wings. It's it's space. But you get you get what I'm saying. It's a good first pick. It was going to be high for me. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the green run. Oh, this is like for, for the SLS. it's like the SLS segment except in a draft. <laughs> I can't help myself. Yeah, this was. Uh, it's also late, uh, but I think it's going to be really exciting to see this giant rocket that has been in development for a long time finally seeing that thing light up, and that is scheduled as a, we're recording today. As early as next week. Yeah, as early as Saturday, like <laughs> very soon. It is. A, it looks like it's going to be the only SLS core stage to be test fired at Stennis. Uh, that's breaking like as we're talking now. Uh, NASA's giving an update on the program, which is very interesting. Hmm. But it is the. Uh, it's such a big step forward in this program. It is the final test. They've, they've done a bunch of other things at Stennis with it, which we which we've spoken about. Right, we've spoken about how they had issues with the loading and they had valve problems they had to deal with, all of these things. But getting to fire that thing, hopefully full for the full time, is just, it's gonna be really exciting. And I think it's gonna be really rewarding to see that finally take place. And after that, the thing goes to Florida and it starts becoming the combined spacecraft for Artemis One, the uncrewed mission, uh, the first launch of the SLS rocket. That is still on the table for late 21, but as you just said, late in the year means the next year. So I don't want to get my hopes too high for an actual launch. Yeah. But the green run should be right around the corner. I feel like you picking the green run and not Artemis 1 on the SLS is really telling. Yeah. (laughs) Right? You're like, what do we think the SLS could do this year? Well, the thing that's scheduled for later this week will probably happen this year. (laughs) After that, eh, who knows? Know. Hmm, who knows? My turn again? Your turn again. All right. I am going to pick uh, Mars missions that are going to Mars, arriving at Mars. Ooh. Yeah. Where, now where is this taking place? Mars. Okay. So Perseverance, the U.S. mission is going to land on Mars. Yeah. Big rover. Uh, the Chine- Chinese Tian-1 uh Tianwen One is going to arrive on Mars and then land later, uh, and then there's Mars Hope. Mars Hope's going to arrive. Guess where? Mars. Mars. That's no. It's Venus, Stephen. What? No. Are you, no. Uh, so, so Perseverance is landing. Uh, it's February 18th at Jezero Crater. Uh, it's got a little helicopter, little chopper riding on it. Uh, it's also the first uh, phase of the Mars sample return, which is collecting the stuff to return that all the other parts are still to come but it's phase one um this is the thing i've talked about how my back fence neighbor his daughter worked on the sample Mm -hmm. return part of mars 2020 which is what this was before it was perseverance so we got a u.s mission landing on the on mars landing on mars is dicey but um the u.s missions have done it successfully a bunch of times in a row now so i think everybody is is pretty optimistic about 
uh, perseverance. Uh, China is going to, with Tianwen-1, going to try that same thing. We don't know when because China, they uh, keep it all kind of under wraps, but they are going to come into Mars orbit sometime in February. And it sounds like the Chinese plan is to orbit Mars for a while, scope out the landing site, make some decisions, and then make an attempt uh, in a couple of months to land. And if they land and survive on the planet, it will be the second country after the U.S. to have a soft-landed, uh, operable for more than a couple of seconds uh, probe on Mars. So that would be another huge feather in the cap of the Chinese space program. And then, yeah, the United Arab Emirates have their weather orbiter, their atmospheric orbiter, Mars Hope. That's due to arrive in Mars orbit February 9th and would orbit for a Martian year, which is basically like two years on Earth. Your two of your Earth years. <laughs> oh, I've always loved to say that. That's ever since I was a kid watching Star Trek. It, it, yes, it'll survive for two of your Earth years or one Martian year, and uh, be like a little weather satellite. We talked about that a few months ago. That it's uh, gonna. It's just part of the array. They wanted to do some real legitimate science and and not just say yay we went to Mars, but to t- like contribute to uh, a need in Mars planetary science. So all of that is coming. It's one of these waves where we get the moment uh, where it's the right time to send a mission to Mars. We have three of them going there. And so next month, we're going to see some excitement as we attempt to put uh, two Mars probes in orbit and one on the ground. And then assuming the Chinese probe goes in orbit, then they will have another exciting attempt to land a couple of months later. So just going to be a lot of Mars on the brain early this year. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of that stuff's coming up here pretty soon. So yeah. Uh, it, it will be exciting. You know, the Perseverance rover in particular, you mentioned NASA's uh, streak of successful landings. It's going to use the same basic landing uh, technology that they did with Curiosity. And it's, of course, built on the same, basically the same platform as Curiosity. So I, uh, it's still scary anytime you're going to land on Mars. We've talked about this. It's actually really difficult to slow down enough to have a soft landing because the atmosphere is very thin and you're usually moving very quickly <laughs> as you approach the planet. So you have parachutes and heat shields and you've got rockets to fire. It's very complicated, but very exciting. And it, it really feels like 2021 could be a real... Um, opening up of what we know about Mars. And, you know, that's not even talking about future, the groundwork in these missions being laid for future things like uh, planetary sample return, right? Yeah. That That's on NASA's radar. It's also on China's radar. So that could be um, this building blocks for even more stuff to come. So that is very exciting. What do you have? Let's talk about, let's talk about Starliner. Okay. This is uh, Boeing's commercial crew capsule. They had uh, a pretty rough test flight (laughs) uh, in which they had a lot of software issues that caused uh, mistimings of firings. It wasn't able to reach the International Space Station. Initially, it seemed like, okay, well, if there had been astronauts on board, they would have been fine, but maybe that's not completely true. There was actually the potential for like some hard impacts with its service module uh, before re-entry. It was a real bad time for the the Boeing software team working on Starliner. Uh, NASA, of course, opens 
a big investigation anytime something like this happens, and they embedded NASA engineers all throughout Boeing's uh, software organization to work on these bugs and better testing. And it seems like that has uh, been a successful endeavor. And uh, as of about a month ago, uh, they have said that they are looking to target March 29th for a launch of the second uncrewed flight test. Again, going to the International Space Station this time, hopefully. Just like SpaceX did, this is a requirement for commercial crew that you do an uncrewed flight with your uh, crewed vehicle. Uh-huh. And uh, I think they've got to get this right this time. I think if they continue to have problems, it's going to be a really big blow to this program. But I'm hopeful that they've uh, been able to do it and that if this goes well in March, then really the the vision of commercial crew of not only having one commercial partner, but more than one to rely on to get astronauts to and from the space station that's really been the dream of commercial crew for now for for a decade, you know, probably since it was introduced. So I'm looking forward to seeing this be a success, uh, definitely rooting for those teams because uh, it really seemed like they had a lot of work ahead of them to straighten all this stuff out. Yeah. Once again, I'm going to point out that you've chosen the test flight and not the actual crewed flight, which I think shows how you've learned your lesson about space dates. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is currently a crew test that could be as early as June, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think what we're all hoping to see is them clear this problem and actually do a, a crewed commercial demo test for Starliner so that we have the two commercial crew vehicles up and running. Obviously two more crewed SpaceX missions due to launch in 2021. Uh, one, there's a, a crew dragon dock to the ISS right now. And in fact, as part of this, I believe they have to move. We talked about it a couple episodes ago. They they have to do some like moving of capsules around at the ISS in order to get the right uh, docking ports open for the right vehicles. Right. And if the OF2 comes out, it has to dock at a port where there's a dragon now. So the dragon has to move and there's a whole thing that goes on there. But uh, a lot of busy stuff at the ISS and it would be nice to see uh, Boeing get on the board. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to, speaking of SpaceX, I'm actually, despite my relative skepticism for a lot of things that Elon Musk says, I'm going to say I am actually looking forward to something that I've been really enjoying in late 2020. I'm looking forward to in 2021, and that is rapid progress on Starship. Ooh, yeah. So down in Boca Chica, Texas... They got these stainless steel rocket ships (laughs) that they are doing static fire tests on, and they've done a couple of of launches, and there was the one that went up and then did the little belly flop and came back and didn't quite stick the landing. But rapid iteration and in public and learning, and I feel like we've seen this from SpaceX before, and now they are better at it because they've been through it before. Given what seems to be the pace of Starship progress, I just I got a feeling that Starship is going to impress us in 2021, that they are going to do some stuff that is really going to take it. If it isn't already, it's really going to take it from the realm of a theoretical test to a realm of people starting to talk about what are we going to do with these things. And I know that there's already been some funding for Starship by NASA in terms of the moon. Um, I, I think that's going to keep 
happening. I, I would not be surprised if they make an orbital attempt putting a starship on top of a Falcon Super Heavy as they continue to work on the, you know, mega rocket that they're working on but they could w- will they try that i think it's possible um i think i just think there's going to be a lot from starship this year and i know i'm essentially betting that uh elon musk is going to deliver on this thing that they're working on but i feel like he's he's not talking it up as much as maybe he could and th- what we are seeing them do is impressive so i'm going to keep my eyes trained on those Boca Chica, Texas webcams and whatever their latest uh, Starship progress is, because I I just I got a feeling that Starship is going to do some stuff by the end of this year that we we weren't expecting or or we weren't counting on uh, now uh, and especially not like even six months ago. I think you're right. I mean, they've really shown uh, incredible speed in getting these prototypes rolled out and launching them. And even if they don't go well, they're learning. And the Raptor platform seems to be maturing very quickly. So, Oh, and I mentioned BFR and Super super Heavy is is not heavy. It's Super Heavy. And so that's the question, like, are they going to have a Super Heavy or, or not? Are they going to... Because that's, that's the other part of this, right, is that there's Falcon Super Heavy to lift this thing up. And that, that may be where they fall down, where they've got the Starship ready and they, they don't have the rockets ready. But we will have to see what that is. But... But I, you know, also, Stephen, I, I will make a prediction here, which is there's going to be more explosions. Yep. I mean, that's how it goes. That's how it goes. But uh, I think they're making rapid progress. So we'll see where they get. Yeah, it is super exciting to watch. And, you know, it's we've talked about this before, but SpaceX and Blue Origin to a degree uh, and a lot of these small rocket companies, like they're doing this all out in the open, or at least a lot of it out in the open. And they're not afraid of having failures in public where this is not how things have been done in this industry really up until SpaceX came along. They This is one of many things they've really changed about the way that these companies go about developing their vehicles. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a trip to Jupiter. Oh, all right. How about that? I'm ready. So Juno, which is the spacecraft that has been orbiting Jupiter for three years now, something like that, Um some amazing imagery has come out of Juno. They've they've got their really cool thing where they have basically the camera feed and it's all accessible to the public. So you see some of these beautiful images put together by regular citizens who are pulling down this data and processing the images. It's really cool. Uh, Juno is getting an extended mission uh, and it is going to be varying its uh, targets of study. So Jupiter has a bunch of moons. We drafted some of them a long time ago. <laughs> we did. And uh, the spacecraft is going to be studying three of them in particular, Io, Europa, and Ganymede. And it is going to have five years to do this. And it was, I think what's exciting about this is that all three of these moons are really different from each other, right? Like Io is a basically a angry volcano hellscape. And Europa, of course, is very interesting because you have the presence of subsurface liquid water under that icy shell on the outside of it. And uh, even Ganymede, which people don't necessarily think about a lot, it actually changed uh, rapidly in between the Voyager and Galileo missions. Like the, the surface of the moon had been reshaped and 
going to be able to compare that now with up-close imagery. Ganymede was originally thought to be kind of a boring, rocky moon-like moon, you know, like our moon. Um, And it's now thought that it's probably got a subsurface ocean, right, that Mm -hmm. makes it much more interesting than than we thought before. So even the boring... It's huge, by the way. Ganymede, bigger than Mercury, I, I believe, or, or more mass than Mercury. One of those. It's 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 huge. It's the biggest moon in the solar system, I mm-hmm. want to say. Just riffing here. But um, yeah, so it's interesting. And then, uh, you know, Io and Europa have been the stars of the show since Voyager. So uh, somebody in the chat was asking about like the, the Juno orbits. Juno ended up in a very kind of eccentric orbit because they had some tech problems and they're going to continue that they're modifying the orbit to be a little more daring so that they can get closer to the moons because they've already done their primary mission essentially, but they're not changing the idea of what, you know, it's, it's going to do these, these big swoopy orbits that get it close and then, and then, uh, remove it further away. Uh, so it's just going to keep doing what it's doing, but it's going to be able to, uh, do some exciting moon science that it might not have, uh, you know, its original mission was obviously you send something out there, you, you, you start off less risky and then, uh, now they're gonna, they're gonna crank up the, the risk a little bit in order to look at these moons. It's awesome. Yeah. So this will take place over the next several years. Uh, initial pass of Ganymede will be a thousand kilometers away. That should take place this summer. And then Europa, they'll come within 320 kilometers in 2022. And then Io, they're going to fly by twice in 2024 at a distance of about 1,500 kilometers. It's super exciting. And it reminds me in a way of Cassini, right? Cassini, we not only learned so much about Saturn, but about its entire system. And I think Juno has the opportunity to follow in those footsteps. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to it. It, it for for a mission that was initially vexed by those problems. The fact is, it, it's doing taking longer to do the science, but it's being able to do all this great science. So it's pretty great. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Well, that's uh, three rounds, but mm-hmm. there's more. There's more. So much more we could pick, but we should probably take a break so that you can tell everybody about our sponsor. This episode of Liftoff is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea, business, or project. You can get a unique domain name, use award-winning templates, and so much more. So think about a project or a business, what, what a website for one of those things would need. You may need a store or a portfolio, a blog. You may need to host a podcast or embed video or all sorts of things. And Squarespace is the all-in platform that lets you do all of it. There's nothing to install, there's no software patches to worry about, no server upgrades are needed in the middle of the night. You just don't have to worry about that kind of stuff because Squarespace has it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help or have any questions. Let's you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. One of my favorite things about Squarespace is the ability to extend a website that you've built previously on Squarespace. So I had a a customer, they were a nonprofit here, and they needed a website for fundraising. I built that last year. And this year they want to start blogging on the site. So I logged into Squarespace. I set up a blog in just really just a few minutes. And now they have this whole new functionality. I didn't have to take down the site or rebuild it or do anything with the database. It was just, hey, I want a blog, turn it on, and they're up and running. 
Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com liftoff. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code liftoff to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name and to show your support for the show. Once again, that's squarespace.com liftoff and the code liftoff to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for the support of the show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. All right, Jason, you're up. Oh boy, um, I'm gonna go with something that is gonna happen, but I'm looking forward to seeing what the details are. It's not, you know, this isn't a predictions draft, which is good because some of these are, are pretty obvious. Um, uh, new NASA administrator, new people in charge at NASA, new administration, new Congress. Changes to the Artemis program. I want to. I want to see what changes with the switching of administrations. We talked about this when we started this podcast. That one of the challenges with space has been you you get different administrations and different priorities, and you can lose a lot of momentum. So the question is, who will the new NASA administrator be? What will their priorities be? And what will change from the priorities of the current administration? Now, my guess is that Artemis, which all, you know, all eyes on Artemis, it's the thing that they've been talking about for so long. My guess is that we were not going to see what we've seen in some past transitions where uh, the old approach is thrown out and a new approach is is inserted and that's i think generally because we're too close now like once you get on a path and you're not just sort of dithering about which path to be on and and you know full credit for everybody who's been working on artemis the last four years it feels like we're on a path they've got uh and jim bridenstein has sort of led the way to get artemis on this path and uh so i think they will keep that but the question is what will they change I think we all assume that they will say straight up that 2024 is not going to happen and bring in a more realistic set of dates. But what do those dates look like? What's the funding going to be from Congress? Um, what is their priority list in terms of the, the getting all the pieces together? We've talked also about how some stuff is much further along than other stuff. So the question of like, okay, we can probably get to lunar orbit fairly quickly, but actually landing on it requires hardware that is like just went out for bid like last year. So how long is that really going to take? And um, I have a couple other ones that I want to keep my eye on. One is the gateway. What role will the gateway play? Gateway was originally conceived during the Obama administration, I believe. Um, and repurposed and renamed uh, in and used as part of the Artemis program. But also it's sort of a, we'll get to it, but not yet. And the first ones will direct descend, but then later we'll have access to the moon via gateway. Will that change? Will the approach when they have a different... Uh, time scale will the uh, gateway figure more prominently into the planning we got to see and a uh, big question is like what is the overall pitch of artemis is this we're going to the moon and we're going to stay on the moon is it we're going to the moon and then we're going to mars um what is the way and, and i admit that that is in some ways more politics and marketing than it is uh science but i'm interested to see how they frame it because every administration has framed the deep space mission uh crude deep space mission of nasa differently i'm also interested in looking at you know what earth science missions get funded and you know how that comes back after it really being on the chopping block during the current administration 
Do you think that the 2024 date will be a big conversation or do you think it'll kind of slowly go away? I think that they're going to have a new administrator and that they're going to have an event. I would actually even predict sometime this year where they roll out an Artemis status report and it includes a lot more detail. Hmm. but also pushes dates back. That's that's my guess. Uh, it's possible they could wait for like the SLS and say, well, until the SLS launches, we can't even give dates for Artemis and then basically count on it being pushed back and then saying, well, we're going to push back all our dates. But I, I'm hopeful that a new administrator will actually come in and want to give a straight up status report and that maybe this new administration will even continue to have that uh, Space Council kind of thing that allows them to have that kind of like here's what the white house and and wants to provide in terms of leadership so um i'm hoping that in a context uh, like that you'll get an artemis update that's like we're going on artemis here's what's changing you know here's what what our new information is they'll have some good news to provide and they'll also move the date that's my guess yeah i think tying it to the sls would be a a pretty good cover for that because if you just come in and say oh that date is baloney like you got to well, have a you're gonna reason. Be accused, you're going to be accused of slowing it down, right? Yeah. Like, why are you yeah. ruining Artemis? And so you need a, you need, I mean, they could say it's just not realistic, but you're right. If you, if you tie it to something like SLS and you say like, look, it's just not ready. Uh, we're going to have to wait for that part. Yeah, that's good. I, the, I agree with you. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens. And I mean, we, we kind of gave Bridenstine, uh, an exit interview a couple of episodes ago. We both think he's done really a good job, way better of a job than I think we were initially feared when he was named. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this the 2024 thing, like Artemis, I agree with you. The, the year, the date is unrealistic, but they're on this path now, and it's just about how you, how you talk about and how you keep moving it forward. All right, so we've talked about big rockets. I want to talk about little rockets. Okay, love it. Little, small rockets. So there are several companies in this space, but I just want to talk about a handful of them that could see big step forward in 2021. Uh, The first is Firefly Aerospace. They're expected to launch their first rocket in the first half of 21. Their goal, like many uh, of these other companies, is to deliver small payloads. So think CubeSats and smaller, uh, doing that cheaply. And what that does, what all these companies are, are playing, hoping to do is that opens up that technology for uh, institutions and research that don't have to have billions of dollars in funding, right? It's the whole beauty of CubeSats. You can build something small and cheap and light, and it does exactly what you need it to do. And you can find one of these launch partners who is going to take up a handful of CubeSats at a time at a low rate. Uh, that's that is really exciting to see what could come of that. Uh, their goal from their founder is uh, ten thousand dollars a kilogram, which is a fourth or a fifth of what the average cost is now in the industry, uh, and they hope to bring it down from there. So that is exciting. We'll see uh, how their uh, their launch goes in twenty one. There's also ABL Space Systems. Uh, So they held numerous static test fires uh, towards the end of 2020. Uh, Their vehicle is called the RS-1. It should see a full launch in 2021 sometimes. 
and uh, they're looking to place up to a thousand kilograms uh, for twelve million dollars per launch. So again, less money. Uh, they're looking at sun synchronous orbits, and uh, what's interesting about them is they've got really good backing. So they secured forty four million from the U.S. Air Force uh, for launch demonstrations on top of 49 million or so in private financing. So they're they're here to stay. That money will, will should take them a long way. Uh, and then lastly, of course, we have Astra. Their rocket 3.2 came very close to orbit at the end of 2020, if you remember this. Basically, they said they got the fuel mixture a little bit off, so this didn't have quite enough lift, quite enough power to, to actually make it, uh, but very close. They launched from Alaska, so some of those... Uh, shots of that of their launch site and the rocket are absolutely beautiful not covered in fog like some of the launch places we could we can name <laughs> vandenberg <laughs> uh, and they're expecting to launch rocket 3.3 basically an updated version of it again in uh 2021 what's really interesting about this this company is about a year ago they were going to launch rocket 3.0 and they called it off basically right at liftoff. And they were up against the a deadline to win a $2 million grant from DARPA. And they said, we'd rather not launch if we think we're going to have a failure. And so they, they were willing to not risk the vehicle and their program for that funding. And mm-hmm. that just really struck me at the time. There's like, these folks seem like they're really committed to the engineering side of <laughs> this because I'm sure that serious. Was a, yeah, yeah. Sure it was a hard decision, but one that I honestly really respect and found kind of refreshing. So uh, these are three companies that we should definitely keep an eye on this year. Of course, there are others, but this uh, smaller launch vehicle space is really getting hot. Yeah, I think this is great. Uh, obviously, Astra, local company here from Alameda, very doing some very interesting things. And, you know, I think with everything that especially SpaceX is doing to um, push down costs on launches by introducing reusability to large launches, you know, the fact is small launches provide access to space and you don't, not everything needs to be a giant launch to space. And so uh, it's exciting. You mentioned the two million, bypassing the $2 million check from DARPA. I think that what I get out of that is that this is not a company that is, Learn, sort of living paycheck to paycheck with government funds, which I think some space companies sort of do, right? Like they just keep on getting some money from NASA or someone else or the Defense Department to do something and they're hoping it'll all turn into something. And them saying no says to me that they're in it for the long haul and they're serious about it and they have a business model and they don't need to take this money to do something dumb. And I think that's really good. So um, excited to see more from all these small companies. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll 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 pick my fifth for 2022 and it's Blue Origin. So Blue Origin started as a mysterious company bankrolled by Jeff Bezos of Amazon fame to do space things. And it was sort of very like nobody knew, hush, hush, quiet. It's been out in the open more lately. But I feel like maybe... 2021 is the year where Blue Origin really comes into its own and everybody, uh, even outside of the, you know, close close space watchers, begins to understand what Blue Origin is up to. 
Um, they are a major player in the discussions of the human landing system for the moon, right? Like the idea that they've got they've got their concept for a lunar lander. They're definitely one of the players there. Um, but they've got their new Shepard rocket, which has has launched before. It's a suborbital rocket, but it's launched before. They seem to intend to launch it with people aboard this year, suborbitally which is why it's called Shepard, right? It's like Alan Shepard. It's a suborbital flight. But they, they seem to be on track to do that. So that'll be a big story, right? More commercial launches of people into space, even if it is a sort of space tourism kind of thing or, or you know, experimentation kind of stuff. Sure. Also, they expect, according to the story that I saw, to possibly launch their new Glenn rocket for the first time this year. That's their orbital rocket. So that's an even more serious step forward for Blue Origin saying, you know, here we are, we now have our next generation rocket and it is has orbital capacity. And then if you want to dive in a little bit further, the, the, the new Glenn rocket is powered by the BE-4 engine, which they designed. It's also, there are like seven of them or something, it's also powering the new United Launch Alliance rocket, the Vulcan Centaur, which is scheduled to fly toward the end of the year, which means next year. <laughs> but still, the Blue Origin is not only powering its own thing, but it's it's the rocket engine that's going to power a ULA yeah. ro- launch. Um, and that ULA launch that's, again, end of the year, so probably next year, that's the one that we talked about a while ago where a company called Astrobotic, which has a, uh, they have a moon robot, basically, and that would be what that mission would be from ULA, would be to take Astrobotic's l- robot probe to the moon, which would be the first U.S.-launched piece of hardware to land on the surface of the moon since the Apollo era. So there's a lot going on that Blue Origin is involved with. And although not all of it's going to happen in 2021, I feel like a bunch of stuff is, and it's going to be the most talked about and the most visibility that Blue Origin has had up to now. So I think it's going to be a big year for Blue Origin. I think you're totally right. And I remember when it was announced that BE-4 was going to be uh, powering that that new ULA rocket, like... Some people were really surprised in the industry because Blue Origin is new at this, right? And that they didn't go with somebody who had a longer track record. But I think it really speaks to how far they've come in a relatively quick amount of time. Yeah, for sure. They haven't been at it very long. All right. A lot of pressure to finish this up. I'm going to go with a story we, we, we've both been following and, and are both interested in. And, uh, you know, we kind of started with the SLS and we'll end with the SLS. The abandonment of the SLS for the Europa Clipper. (laughs) Oh, I put this in here and then I was afraid to pick it because I thought it would be like just another shot at the SLS segment and all of that. But I think think we got to talk about it. So I'm glad you brought it up. And look, the SLS is going to dominate the next several years of news, I think. So... It's, it may outgrow its segment bounds. Hmm. So if you remember, hmm. I don't even know how many years ago, it feels like as long as the Europa Clipper has been a thing, it was tied in the federal budget, which means it's law, to launch on the SLS. The two were chained together. Uh, this goes into a lot of the politics that that really is getting ready to shift potentially with the new Congress and you have new people leading committees. 
but uh, the SLS, of course, is being built, being supplied by companies in every state. Remember, we did an mm-hmm. episode where we found a long chart, and it's like every single state is yep. is part of that. And uh, there were certain, um, you know, congressional representatives from, say, Alabama who really have it in for SpaceX and uh, were able to help uh, the SLS gain this flight. So it has been un... They've been unmarried to each other. So there was a recent yeah. budget agreement which removed the SLS mandate. And it, it doesn't say that it can't find the SLS, but that NASA is able to find a commercial alternative if the SLS isn't going to be available. And it's not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's brilliant. The way it's worded is sort of like, well, you know, if it's not available or there are issues in terms of the planning and, and you know, mounting it on, on a different rocket and all that, then, then you don't have to use the SLS. And, and you know, it's very hard to look at that and not say that literally just says don't use the SLS. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Um, you know, it's going to save them a billion and a half dollars <laughs> yeah. if they fly on Falcon Heavy instead. Although which they, which Falcon, they can, they can take Falcon Heavy. They they they're going to have to do a, a much longer trajectory and slingshot kind of thing to get to Jupiter, whereas SLS would have taken them direct. So it would take a lot much longer, like uh, like a year or two longer to get there. Year or two, three. It's a lot longer to get there. Although by the time Europa Clipper is ready to go, it's also possible that Falcon Super Heavy could exist. In which case, Falcon Super Heavy could replicate the same kind of thrust level as SLS and take them direct to Jupiter. So we'll see how that progresses. But it's a conversation that couldn't be had as long as Congress said, no, you have to. I mean, and it was a backroom deal, basically. It was a it was the Culberson, the guy from Houston who got voted out two years ago, where Europa was his thing. And it was Shelby, senator from Alabama, who you referenced earlier, who, you know, likes the SLS. And they cut a deal that was like, well, I'll fund your your Europa probe if you'll fund my giant boondoggle of a rocket. And so the deal was done and it is being unraveled now. So, yeah. So there you go. Uh, and we'll the chairman's asking Falcon Super Heavy. Uh, it's the the rocket for Starship. BFR, it's all yeah, the same. It's the, it's the big the one. Thing. It's the BFR. Yeah, it's. I mean, and that's the idea. There is that the the super heavy and sp- and starship gives you a, uh, you know, taller than SLS, but like larger, heavy uh, lift vehicle. But it it hasn't. You know, that's going to require them to come from behind. But SLS is moving so slowly that perhaps they will. I don't mm-hmm. know. We'll see where 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 super heavy ends up. I think that's the interesting missing piece of all that starship talk that i did earlier is like okay but this is the second stage so what's the first stage and where is it and that's uh something that uh i think they're not as far along on but maybe they are i don't know we'll see um you want to go through a list of sort of like the other stuff we had a we had a bunch of stuff we didn't pick we could go through it real really quickly some other things to look for yeah you touched on the first one um but uh, clips the commercial lunar payload services flights that's to put commercial hardware on the moon um that should be underway this year uh the idea here is that you can you can send supplies and equipment ahead of a future crewed artemis mission 
And it's, uh, NASA has a bunch of partners, and uh, they're all going to be working on various schedules and various things. Uh, they're putting uh, things like laser retroreflector arrays and uh, Doppler sensors and all sorts of stuff ahead of these missions. Uh, and some of this is also standalone scientific research. But commercial hardware on the moon is getting ready to be a thing. Uh, okay, really quickly, mine is Richard Branson going into space. <laughs> it might be the year Virgin Galactic has two test flights planned for 21. And if they go well, they will also fly passengers, they say, this year for their space tourism program. And Branson said that he would be among them. So uh, after all of his investments in Virgin Galactic, perhaps this is the year that a billionaire, 70-year-old billionaire Richard Branson finally gets to... Uh, go to space on his own spaceship, which I think is like, if he wanted to go to space, he could have, he could have probably done space tourism on someone else's ship. But instead I think he, you know, he wants to do it on his spaceship, which full credit to him. If you build a spaceship, you should be able to fly in it. This one could have been rolled in with like the politics of NASA in 2020, but there is uh, a group of people and I think a growing swell of support to rename Stennis Space Center. Uh, from the former American lawmaker with um, uh, racial segregation in his past. Um, Mm -hmm. Very problematic stuff. It was named through executive order by Reagan in the late 80s. So it's believed that Biden could just rename it with an executive order. If not, it's got to go through Congress. But I think the party in power in Congress would be hip to that sort of thing. So uh, hopefully Stennis will be renamed. Um, SpaceX, in addition to its commercial crew missions, has a non-NASA crewed flight planned to the ISS for this year. Something to watch. Axiom Space, private space tourism uh, company, has contracted with SpaceX for a mission with four people on board. It's a former NASA astronaut who is the pilot and three private citizens slash space tourists going to the ISS. So watch for that. More space tourism in the works in t- this year, 21. Uh, wrapped up with the Artemis program is the human-rated uh, landing system, which did not get the budgetary support that NASA was hoping for. Never has and didn't, <laughs> didn't this year either. Uh, but uh, last spring, they named uh, Blue Origin, Dianetics, and SpaceX as partners to develop um, human landers. And so I expect that we will see much more about this in 21. We've seen Blue Origins, right? You got the blue moon and Jeff Bezos walked around the legs of it. Yep. <laughs> uh, but I expect that we'll see NASA, if even if they don't pick one in 21, which I think is definitely possible, I think we'll continue to see what these companies are pitching to NASA as the system. Yep, looking forward to it. And I have one last one, which is China is going to do a bunch of stuff. And they don't talk about a lot of it, but we'll have more to watch from China. They are planning a new space station, and the first module of it should launch this year. And then they'll follow it up next year with a couple experiment modules. But uh, they should be doing multiple missions to launch a module and, uh, and supplies and stuff. And they've got a whole new crew of Taikonauts that they're going to send to it. So uh, this decade, that's one of the other, uh, in terms of crewed space flight, look for China and its space station to start taking shape this year. And that is our list of stuff for 21. Big, Going to be a big year. Going to be a busy liftoff year, I think, Stephen. 
I think so too. Yeah. All right. If you want to find links to all the stories we mentioned, head on over to the website, relay.fm slash liftoff slash 140. There you can become a member to support Liftoff directly. You can send us an email with feedback and follow up. And there's also links to our accounts over on Twitter. So you can follow us there. I'd like to thank our sponsor this week, which is Squarespace. And until our next fortnight, Jason, say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Next time, back to Apollo. Woo, Apollo 14. Yeah, next time. Next time.